to Top 25 Voter Pod with Chad and John and I'm Bryce. Guys, good to see y'all again. Always great. <laughs> One day we will reunite in person, but who knows when that will be. Uh, and as we allude to COVID, the Bears, Baylor, is uh, dealing with that. The men's team, for sure. Women have managed to to get through mostly unscathed. Uh, but so Baylor is canceled or postponed, I guess, uh, five consecutive big 12 games. Uh, the next one that's, you know, scheduled to happen is February 20th against Oklahoma state. So the question then guys is, you know, when Baylor, you know, gets on the court for the first time in 18 days, uh, just, you know, how difficult will that be for them to play at the same level they've been playing at? I'm going to say it's going to be very difficult, especially if they're not practicing. And let's say they finally get a full squad together, maybe a day or two before the October 20th game. That's going to be really hard to be playing at the same level that you were. And they were obviously playing great. Their last game, February 2nd. 83-69 to 69 win at Texas, uh, overcame the piped-in crowd noise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just playing tremendous. I, I mean, I think, I, I think they'll still play really well, but I think they might be a little more vulnerable to a loss. Chad? I disagree. I mean, you know, they'll get them a few games, a three, uh, knockout from three-point range in before they get going again, and they'll be just primed and ready to go. <laughs> all right there you go it feels sarcastic but uh but yeah i mean, I mean you, you can't knock them because they're they're 17 and they're, they're 17 and 0 or whatever the heck they are but they shoot three pointers and get rebounds off those three pointers and, and turn them into points i mean that's the essence of what they do on offense well they do drive some to the basket and really good uh so i saw a tweet where somebody had said, Oh, the bears don't, I guess a big 12 assistant coach had anonymously said, uh, you know, the bears don't run any offense or something like that. And I think it was for maybe that, that tweeted in response to that and had these breakdowns of Baylor offensive sets. And, and what they do is what you see a lot in the NBA, which is look for mismatches. You know, set a pick, get a switch, and get a get a quick guy on a bigger guy, or you know, uh, stuff like that. And so, um, and Baylor has a lot of quick guys that that can, you know, either get to the basket or or obviously shoot it from outside, as Chad alluded to. They do shoot a lot of threes, but welcome to basketball in the twenty first century. <laughs> Everybody shoots a lot of threes, right? Well, well they're shooting a great job forty five percent, man. They do a great job of getting the ball to the open man. What were you going to say, Chad? Well, I said they're shooting, you know, dang near 45%, so who can blame them for shooting threes? But, I mean, when they get in that 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 that, that other gear that, that we're seeing in the second half of games where they run away from people, it's like as soon as the ball crosses three-point line, it, I mean, the free throw, the uh, half-court line, it's going up, and it's going in a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's effective for them. No question. I mean, to me, it's the best three point shooting team they've ever had. Um, 
you know, just back to the original question, I, I think it would be hard. I agree with John more so than Chad, but uh, I think it would be hard not to accumulate some rust going as, you know, uh, as long as they they will be without a game. That said, you know, they have time to to kind of get it cranked back up if, if they get all those games back in. <laughs> that's that's another question and, and one I alluded to a little bit in in my column uh, this week, which was just about I personally think they ought to just nix the conference tournaments all across the board in college basketball because I agree, you know, what's the point? And it could it could really throw a wrench into the NCAA tournament for a lot of teams if they go to the conference tournament and, and get COVID, you know? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And th- there's no way there's no way Baylor's going to get in all those makeups. They've only played nine. And then starting about February 20th, they'll have, what, about 16 days to get in nine games. That's not going to happen. I'd say best case scenario would be maybe – six, seven at the most, but nine, that's, there's no way. Right. Absolutely. So uh, let's move it over to the the Baylor women's side. Um, Chad, you know, uh, we've, we've seen a certain theme in uh, a lot of the (laughs) Lady Bears press conferences lately, which is basically, no, we're not overlooking this team. I mean, you know, (laughs) they've had a lot of laugher type games, uh, and and this is not uncommon for a lot of Kim Mulkey's teams, but uh, the Bears, the Lady Bears schedule does improve uh, starting Sunday as, you know, they get Texas and then followed by West Virginia. Both of those games will be at the Farrell Center. So should we expect Baylor's level of play to rise with the level of competition? Well, I think the uh... – I don't want to say the intensity will pick up because I don't know that, that it's been, you know, that I don't know that they've lacked for intensity, but the, the sense of drama, you know, for everybody, maybe, but the people on the bench will certainly go up because they play Texas on Sunday and then they play West Virginia. Uh, let's see my desk calendar here. They play West Virginia next Wednesday. So, and West Virginia is only a half game behind them now in the conference standings. And so, you're going to have a mid-February game with a lot riding on it, which is, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's not it's not unheard of. I mean, it, but somebody pointed out the other day that a lot of times the Lady Bears have, you know, staked a two- or three-game lead even by this point, even by February 10th, you know. So, um, going to be some more interesting games. Uh, you know, they play Texas Tech tonight, and, and this podcast will be out probably after they play the Texas Tech game, but – you know, Tech's four and nine and in seventh place in the conference. And they're well ahead of the last two teams Baylor's played, Kansas and and uh, Kansas State. So, um, you know, it's it's hard to watch the Kansas State game on, on Sunday and, and think, oh, well, this Wildcats team is actually better than their record because their record is really bad. Mm. You know, I, I'll be interested to see – what Vic Schaefer does kind of in Austin and, and if, you know, if he can raise that level of, of Longhorn play to the, to the point where, 
you know, they're a legit rival for, for Baylor. I mean, um, that's quite a climb, but, you know, back when A&M was in the conference and Gary Blair was down in College Station, those were, you know, those were legit tussles for, you know, for Baylor. I mean, those were not easy games. And, um, and I think, you know, that's a little bit what's lacking in the Big 12. I mean, it's kind of Baylor and everyone else. And we've, you know, we've said that a lot. Um, so, you know, for me, uh, you know, with no dog in the fight, I just, I would like to see, you know, some competition step up. Well, you know, West Virginia lost at home against Baylor 65 45. And then they lost, you know, a week later to Oklahoma State. And, but their last loss was on December 18th and they've won 10 in a row. So uh, we'll see if the Mountaineers have, have caught fire when they come here next week. Yeah, I've watched Baylor a little bit, and to me, they look like a, a really good defensive team as usual, but they just don't seem like they kind of have found themselves yet offensively. I don't know if y'all would agree. Uh, to me, there's not like two players like uh, Kalani and Lauren Cox, you know, that they know are going to score a lot and, you know, know well, what they're going to do. Nalissa Smith and – you know, she has her, her moments and has little flashes in games when you see this, but she's as unstoppable of a player as they've had mm. um, just because of her length and uh, her shooting ability. Now, she hasn't really – I mean, they don't seem like they want to turn her loose to shoot from three-point range and do all that stuff because why would you? You know, why would you shoot from out there when you can get, when you can get buckets inside easy? But um, she's just a whole lot more uh, agile and can move around, you know, not just in the post area, but, you know, all over the court more so than, say, Kalani Brown could. Um, I don't, you know, it, it, she doesn't really have a counterpoint, though, you know. Um, if, if she were playing with Kalani all the time, the role that Lauren was in, it'd be interesting to, to see what she could do. And, and, they haven't really said, okay, we're going to get the ball to Melissa and get the heck out of the way like they did, you know, like they famously did. Was it Doug Collins with Michael Jordan, right? <laughs> right. So uh, that would be fun to see for a game, though, just see, see the Melissa Smith show. Yeah, I, I do agree with you, Chad. I think she's, uh, she's different from a lot of the bigs they've ever had in terms of her ability to – to move and to face up and, uh, and to shoot from the outside. Now, Lauren, Lauren Cox could hit the the three and the outside shot as well, but, but still Nalissa, Nalissa is pretty mobile. And then I like Moon Urson in, in terms of her, um, you know, mid range game. I think that's a legit weapon for Baylor. I just think it's a different offensive team than what we're accustomed to seeing from, from lady bear teams. We've gotten so used to the, the, the back to the basket posts, you know, mm. with, with Brittany Griner and, and Kalani Brown and Lauren Cox that, you know, this team's just a little bit di- different. It looks different, but um, that's not to say that, um, I mean, they've still had what some games have they scored a hundred points in some games and nineties. And I mean, you know, they've had some, some pretty legit scoring out outputs. So. Yeah, and they're they're as good of a transition team as they've ever had, I would think. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say as as they've ever had. They they're a real they're a really good fast breaking team, and really that's kind of how they get their engine going. 
Well, and, uh, you know, John mentioned the defense right off the bat. I mean, that's that's always going to be a staple of Kim Mulkey teams. And honestly, that's where a lot of their offense has always come from, mm-hmm. you know, is is getting steals, getting out and running and, and that kind of thing. So I think – Well, that's, that's what you have when you have um... – you know, so many highly rated athletes on the mm-hmm. team is that when you get a rebound and you're determined you're going to take that rebound and go score in the next four seconds, you can do that a lot better than, uh, you know, 95% of teams in women's college basketball. Right. All right. So we were all three working last night. Uh, John and I were covering some high school basketball. That's not unusual for me, a little unusual for John, but he's getting roped in since uh, Baylor is, you know, is off. Uh, but uh, Chad was was in the office or working the desk, uh, so I'm not sure how many of us saw this live. I did not, but I have seen it since. And this could be like lighting a a, a match to a fire here, but we'll see. So, what was your opinion of? Chris Beard's tirade against West Virginia last night. Chad, well, I, let's start with Chad. Okay. Totally justified. Well, I mean, so we know your allegiances, but explain what you mean. Cause I, I mean, I think there is some well, stuff to unpack there. Well, and I, you know, I didn't know what it was about when I first saw it, I was finishing up work and, and I was, Honestly, watching as much of the game as I could on on my YouTube TV app on my phone uh, while I was at the office. I didn't turn the office TV on. I can't get that thing to turn on. Maybe y'all can help with me <laughs> no, next time I, we're all in the office. I was having that problem the last time I was up there, too. So. Um, but um, I, I, I think it was probably a frustrating game. But And Chris Beard said in his postgame press conference, and I don't – I mean, I'm kind of amazed because he doesn't – he, he – doesn't get mad at other coaches. He doesn't disrespect the officials very often. He even said last night that he respects all three of those guys, that he likes all three of those guys in, in the postgame press conference, which kind of grinded me a little bit because I don't like him one bit. Um, but he, but his point was you have to stand up for your players sometimes. And in this particular instance, a West Virginia player, I believe it was McBride, fell to the floor and had the ball on the floor and was trying to call timeout. And Kevin McCullough for Texas Tech reached over to tie him up. And they call – instead of giving the timeout to the West Virginia player, they call a foul, you know. Um, and, and how often when guys are scrambling for the ball and trying to call timeout, do they call a foul anyway, you know. Um, so I'm sure that was just like – there were 23 seconds left. They wanted – they legitimately wanted West Virginia to get the timeout, even if it wasn't a tie-up situation. They wanted West Virginia to get the timeout because then they could set up a press – Again, because they're down six points with 23 seconds left. Not that different from the situation at LSU a few weeks ago um, where they, you know, they came back in, in that amount of time at the end of the game. So, you know, it's, it's not unheard of. But, you know, obviously when they call a foul and they're going to the free throw line with, an, with a 90% shooter, pretty much it's all done. And, and, and Beard was like, God, why, why do you – why do you call a foul there? What, you know, of the three things that you could do, you call a foul and, and he let him know it. And I think uh, somehow, you know, Chris Beard has the ability to get really fired up and yet 
kind of, um, I don't know, be calculating even in those moments. Yeah, I, I will say uh, I can see why he was upset, but but I will also say it's a very Emmy worthy performance. <laughs> I mean, for no, him, it was, it was Bobby Knight esque. Uh, that said, I, I mean, I do agree with Chad that there was some uh, some level of control or calculation there. I mean, in the midst of this tirade, he goes and dabs up. Uh, Bob Huggins, you know, I mean, so I, I don't think Bob Knight ever did that, you know, wow. I mean, uh, so. Well, let, and even, even more specifically, Bob Huggins would not have been able to flop down and demonstrate what the problem was the way Chris did with, and get up and get up. And then I don't think he would have, would fifth bump the other coach either. Right. Yeah. I, I thought he showed a lot of agility. Mm -hmm. I mean, to get down on the floor, do the, uh, I guess it's the timeout signal he was doing. And then like to bounce back up, have the presence of mind to be a good sport and fist bump Huggins and then get the crowd on your side and do a dramatic walk out to the tunnel. I, I thought it was just highly entertaining. <laughs> it's a great tirade for sure. Uh, now I'm going to probably play right into Chad's hands here, but um, so I do think that I'm going to make an analogy here and we'll see if, if Chad, the analogy King appreciates it. Uh, <laughs> so I think Bob Huggins is the big 12's James Harden. And here's what I mean by that. So James Harden was extremely effective at what he, what he does, you know, I mean, he, he's uh, the best I've ever seen in terms of drawing contact and um, getting fouls, getting calls his way, and people hate watching it. Generally speaking, there's a lot of basketball fans that think it is not fun to watch from an aesthetic uh, standpoint. And I think Bob Huggins, as a coach, has this um, relationship, or I don't know, I don't even know what you would call it, this control over the refs uh, where he just, he's constantly in their ear. He's constantly, you know, chirping and stuff. And um, I do feel like he sometimes gets the benefit of the doubt on some calls. What's unusual is that, you know, that it would happen on the road. I mean, yeah, you know, the, uh, but maybe, maybe that's a little bit of COVID coming into play too, where, uh, you know, refs are human. And I think that, you know, in a year where there's fewer fans in the stands and, and maybe less pressure on them uh, from the home crowd, they may be more apt to call one against the home team in a, in a critical situation. Yeah. Do you like my analogy, Chad? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, he, he definitely has star power for whatever reason. And it must be, it, ha it has something to do with something I can't see because he's one of the less charismatic coaches I've ever been around, especially in a post-game press conference. Uh, people love him and I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I'm not going to get, I don't want to get into the foul crap. I'm, I'm sick of it. So I just okay. don't really want to talk about it. All right. 
Let's move on, uh, talk about the Jayhawks. And so Kansas dropped out of the top 25 this week, joining the likes of Duke and <laughs> Kentucky. Uh, it was the first time they've been out of the top 25 since 2009. That's insane. That's a, that's a pretty impressive streak. So is this the start of a down period for the Jayhawks, especially with you know the specter of NCAA probation looming? Yeah, I, I think it is because, you know, when I look at that team this year, they don't have nearly the level of talent that they've had. I mean, they've got a few really good guys, but they don't have a guy out there like Azubuki. Uh, you know, I don't think they have the, the scoring guards that they've had before. And, uh, and I think part of that might be just, this, like you said, the specter of probation that might be turning some guys away from them. So, uh, uh I could see maybe a couple down years and, you know, we'll see what happens with coach self, you know, if he wants to stay there. So, uh, so yeah, I, I can see him maybe sliding a little bit. You know, it, the, the bill self question is a big one. And, and I, I, it's hard to see him sliding one way or the other, because, you know, bill self, I feel like has his own ability to hit his own reset button and get things going again there. And, and, like, like you said, this dark cloud is hanging over them, and it's kind of kept them probably from being like top-level Kansas for a few years now. I mean, their streak got broken after 2019, and, and they were kind of just keeping it going in 2017, 2018. Um, but then, you know, if Self leaves, um, you know, they're going to bring in a hot shot. They're going to bring in one of the best coaches in the country, and they're going to be able to recruit, recruit off that, and, and that's going <laughs> to – you know, they're going to uh, they're going to just rebound back to that level anyway. Or, you know, you, you, when, as soon as you say something like that, you, you think about North Carolina and how difficult a time they had getting it back after uh, Dean Smith retired. So um, and I know, you know, Roy, I mean, uh, Coach Self took over from Roy Williams, who had had it going at Kansas pretty well himself. And so. Um, you know, it's I, – I don't see Kansas going anywhere, though. I, I agree. They're still Kansas. I mean, they're not Kansas in terms of what their product on the field, on the court this year, but uh, I don't think they stay down for long. And, yeah. I mean, let's, let's face it, you know, it was just last fall that, um, that Baylor-Kansas was, you know – one of the biggest games in the country. I mean, and, and even earlier this season, it was kind of billed as, as this huge game. And, and obviously Baylor took care of business, but um, yeah, I, I don't know that Baylor and tech and um, these other big 12 programs, Texas that, that have had really good seasons have supplanted the Jayhawks as, you know, the program to beat in the Big 12 just year in and year out. Um, well, no, when you no, think about no. it, Kansas yeah. is a lot closer to being Kansas this season than Duke is to being Duke or Kentucky certainly is to being Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point because I think Duke and Kentucky do not make the NCAA tournament, whereas Kansas should. Yeah, well, and, uh, you know, they fell Kansas. out of the top. When I Go say ahead, down for Kansas, I mean like a five, six, seven seed. 
yeah. Um, you know, Kansas fell out of the top 25, but then they turn around and, and pretty much handle Oklahoma State the other night. Um, they didn't beat them bad, but they were in control of the game the whole way, at least what it looked like when I was trying to – I was tracking that game while I was at my niece's eighth-grade basketball game last one of the year. So I didn't, I didn't get a real good look at it, but it didn't look like Kansas struggled to beat Oklahoma State. Well, who knows? By the time we do this podcast again, the Jayhawks might be back in the top 25. We'll see. <laughs> like I said, they, they don't stay down for long. But uh, So, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, Chad, enjoy your games. John, enjoy your break. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'd rather be covering games. <laughs> hey, if it weren't so dang cold, you could go hiking somewhere. <laughs> Good stuff. Mm-hmm. 